it's such a privilege to be part of a community like this. I'm just watching in the midst of the ministry session, you know, people giving up themselves and seeing people receive. And it's such a beautiful picture of the body. You know, I, my default setting is, is I'm very task. So when I'm under a little bit of pressure, I go into first gear and I just plow through things. And sometimes I don't see all of you guys. And I'm so grateful for this community. I'm grateful for every single person here because some of you I know well and some of you I don't know that well, but every single one of you have got a contribution that you've made to my life this year and I'm richer for it. So it's, um, it's a wonderful privilege to stand here in the morning and bring a word that I really, it's, it's been on my heart for quite a while. Uh, on Thursday nights, we started um, celebrating Thanksgiving. I know it's an American thing and generally what comes from America could be quite commercial. But we think it's such a wonderful rhythm for us to get into where we just practice. We do it over Christmas as well where we thank Jesus for what he's done but we also just, it's a good time for us to just pause and have a look and take stock of what the Lord has done over the past year. And on Thursday night we were over at the Haslam's with some friends and the kids were playing outside and then we had a wonderful supper and then we got together and we just started expressing what we were thankful for um, in the context of what the Lord has done in our hearts this year. And we started off maybe a little bit scratchy, um, you know, when you first start thinking, oh, so what, what, what did God do again? But slowly but surely there was this beautiful momentum that just started building as we just started sharing, yeah, now I'm actually thankful for this and I'm thankful for this. And slowly but surely, there was this momentum, and the next thing, the presence of the Holy Spirit was there. And it was a privilege for me because there we had testimonies such as Shiona overcoming cancer, and we had Phil going through this miraculous operation recently, and even them having a miraculous baby that they only found out that they were pregnant at around about 12 weeks or something like that. Um, rest of us would have known, but they don't, so... <laughs> Um, Shani and I were just grateful that we made it through the year, that the girls decided to take it easy on us. Um, and we were grateful that we don't have boys. Um, respect, pit in a leash. But what I was thankful for was just that there's this thread of God's goodness. You know, if we look at all the challenges that we face throughout the year, it's so easy for the wind to, to make, it, make it feel like we've been blown off course, but actually we straight... If we trust the Lord, we're straight in the middle and the center of his will, and he works it all out for us. But in the context of South Africa, it's maybe not that easy to be thankful. You know, on a daily basis, I suppose we are bombarded with stats of crime and unemployment, and, and there's almost this narrative of just this continuous bombardment of negativity, the load shedding, the potholes, and it doesn't just dominate the news, it dominates often our conversations because in, particularly, in particular, I don't like the fact that they've now broken up the load shedding in two-hour blocks because it feels like it's, it's ever-present almost. And so for me, it's almost like there are two narratives or two tables that we are faced with on a daily basis. And we have the one narrative where we start giving thanks and we start focusing on the things that God is doing. We start focusing on... <laughs> okay, the Holy Spirit's here. I'm going to just put this here. Don't worry, that's fine. 
Um, and so the one, the one narrative is the goodness of God, what is God doing, this, this vibrancy, this tangible presence, we can see the Holy Spirit touching people's lives. And this elevates us, it pulls us in, it's an invitation to thrive, it's an invitation to grow. And then we have this other narrative which wants to shackle, wants to make despondent, wants to bring despair, all the Ds, you know, despair, despondency, depression, all of those things, they want to just bring us down. And so we are faced almost, as it were, with two narratives or two tables. And uh, a couple of weeks ago in our home church, I just felt like there was a word for um, the guys that come to, and again, I, I love our little home church. You know, the testimonies, without fail, when we get together, they are probably... 70% of the people have got a living testimony of what the Lord has done in their life in those past two weeks. And those things are so, it's not common. It shows that the Lord is moving and the Lord is powerful and it encourages us because we can feed off your testimony. We can feed off the goodness of God in your life and we can take that for ourselves. And so, so a couple of weeks ago, I felt this, this thing about the two tables. Um, and so the first table we know the story of Daniel. Daniel is an exile taken by the Persians from uh, Jerusalem or from Israel, and he's now serving in the courts of Artaxerxes. And these are a bunch of young men that have been taken in, and they've got an overseer, and it's the overseer's job to make sure that they are well-fed, that they are well-looked after, because it's his responsibility, and if he doesn't measure up to those KPAs, he could be in trouble. He could lose his job. But we have a bit of a conflict because Daniel is a Jewish boy and he wants to please the Lord and he wants to do what God says. And on that lavish kingly, uh, kingly table, there are some delicacies that he's not allowed to, by Jewish law, he's not allowed to eat from. He's not allowed to partake of those things. And so he's faced with a dilemma and he basically approaches the overseer and he says to the overseer, you know, I, I, I'm not comfortable eating from this table. Would it be okay if I just had vegetables and water. And the overseer was a little bit concerned because his job potentially could be on the line. And he said, you know, I'm not so sure this is a good idea. And, and Daniel says, well, give me 21 days. And if after 21 days, I look gaunt or I look sick, then we go back. We'll go and do that. And so it's almost like Daniel surrenders because it'd be so easy to eat from that lavish table. But he says, Lord, I want to please you. Lord, I want to align with what you're doing. We sang this morning about you write my story. And so this is such a beautiful picture of Daniel just coming and saying, Lord, I want you to write my story. I'm taking a step. Would you write my story? And after 21 days, we know the Bible says that he looked better than all of the others. And so he was able to, to proceed um, on that. And so there were two tables. The one is a table of indulgence. And we can't say that it's a bad table because all of those things that he said no to in those days, we probably eat now. So it wasn't necessarily a bad table but he wanted to not rely on his own understanding and he wanted to trust the Lord because he knew that this is what the Lord spoke. This is what the Lord wants his people to do. There's a second table in Isaiah 55. I just want to read the scripture. And it says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? 
Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. And this is the Lord's invitation to us. If we will allow him, he has got a table for us that will satisfy in abundance, it says. Don't labor for those things that are temporary. And that I I would like to suggest, the table of the king represents those things that do not satisfy, those things that do not provide the sustainable abundance of God. And in the Hebrew, that word for abundance is the word fatness. And that word means fruitful, blessed, and fertile. Now, understand that fertile is maybe not appropriate for everybody, but for some of us, it is important. So this is the, these are the two tables that we are faced with. So back to the story of South Africa. You know, the, the outlook is not great. Um, you know, there are downgrades and there's, you know, our growth rates are not great. We've got massive um, unemployment. And I'm sure we have all at one stage or another asked ourselves these questions, you know. Perhaps I should immigrate. Perhaps I should go somewhere else where actually there's a future for my children. And these are real questions that we need to ask ourselves and that we do ask ourselves. But I want to read an excerpt from a diary of a guy called Gert Kowekamoa or Gert Kukumur, <laughs> as he is known by his friends and family. <laughs> So Gert is a CA, he grew up in Paris and he's now living in the UK. It was September 2023. At the time I was serving as a financial advisor to King Charles in Buckingham Palace. Johan, one of my brothers, had just arrived back from Joburg with some other South Africans. I asked him how were things back home and 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 specifically about Joburg. And they told me that things are not looking good, but potholes, load shedding, corruption. We lost the cricket. (laughs) There are serious problems back home, and the people are struggling under the burden. Unemployment and crime is rampant. The people are miserable. Unofficially, more than half of all employable people don't have work, so they can't feed their families. Apparently, 4.8 million people, sorry, apparently 4.8 million children are starving. There doesn't to be any, any way that they can turn the tide, tide on this back home, and it's hopeless. So I've taken a liberty of taking the beginning of Nehemiah and just putting it in the context of South Africa. And it doesn't look good, guys. It doesn't look good. But I want us to take strength and courage from Nehemiah because Nehemiah goes on to say the following. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep covenant and mercy to those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants. And confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. And have not kept the commandments, 
the statutes nor the ordinances which you commanded your servants Moses, your servant Moses. You commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast off out to the farthest parts of heavens, yet I will gather them from there and will bring them to a place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. I pray, grant him mercy in the sight of man for I was the king's cupbearer. So I think the response of Nehemiah is so, so beautiful because he was a professional serving at the hand of the most powerful man in the world at that stage. He was comfortable, he was earning a good salary, he had everything that he wanted. But when he heard the report of how things were back in Jerusalem specifically, his heart was cut. His heart was cut because the people were struggling under the burden and circumstance. And although he was, he was based in Persia, so far away, he still had an understanding of the calling and the inheritance and the purpose that God had for his people. And so, the scripture that I read, that I read he starts interceding. And our English word intercede comes from the Latin, which means inter, which means between, and seed, which means to go. And so he goes between the problem, which is Jerusalem in its current state, and the Father, who is the solution. And he builds a bridge by his intercession. And I believe that that is the calling on us as South Africans, as people who have lived here for decades, people who have had great schooling, people who have had a great education. We've enjoyed some of the best that South Africa has had. And it's, it's almost time for us for our hearts to be cut for the people, for our hearts to be cut for this nation because the Lord loves every single one of the people in South Africa. He loves the homeless. He loves the unlikable. He loves those that, that are destitute. Those He loves the prostitutes. He loves all of those. And so, so, so Nehemiah carries on when he's interceding and he reminds God of his promises. First of all, he reminds God of his covenant to his people. And he reminds God of the promises that he has made to Israel. And we know that God has spoken many things. We've had words here. Um, and we know that there's a legacy in South Africa where God has taken us through very difficult times. In 1994, it looked like it was civil war. But God came through miraculously. The story behind those stories are so intricate and so, so powerful about how God saved us from the cliff. And I believe we are at another one of those cliffs and I, and I believe it's a call for us as the church to rise up and start interceding. And that might be prayer, that might be building bridges between other race groups, that might be building, um, just helping out where we can. And so Nehemiah puts, apart, puts aside his, his comfort he intercedes, he feels he has a mandate from God and now he goes and he dares being miserable in front of the king and that, 
is definitely a career-limiting move. It's definitely something that's not going to go well for you because the king, he needs to be served. Your, your requirements or your emotional status really is secondary to the king's requirement, but he actually risks, a bit like, like Ruth, taking a chance. And, he, and we know the rest of the story. He opens up and he basically speaks to the king and the king gives him favor because now he knows God is with him. He has pleaded before God, he fasted, he prayed, and now God has got purpose for him. Was there opposition? Definitely. He gets to, Nehemiah, he gets to Jerusalem, the place is a shambles. The people there are not united, they're divided, and there are these two guys, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah, and they are supported by the Arabs and some other, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites and some other ites, and so they've got this organized group of opposition. And you know, whenever we stand out and we choose the table of the Lord, or we choose, instead of going for the easy way out, like, like um, what's possible for, um, for Nehemiah and for, what's the other guy's name that I referenced earlier? Daniel. <laughs> instead of choosing that easy way out, chose maybe something that was countercultural something that didn't look like it was the best option, but it was surrendering to God and saying, Lord, you write your story on my life. Because actually, the table is not just for me. The table is for so many others around me. It's not just for me to feast and indulge, but actually it's for me to be used by you. And now you can write an adventure. Now you can write a story. And we know Nehemiah was part of rebuilding those walls in 50-odd days, which... They were broken for decades before that. And he was part of a transformation that is legendary in, in, in Israel. He was part of something we now know about Nehemiah because he decided not to stay in the courts of Artaxerxes. And so, so for Nehemiah, he was, he was now on a God mission. He was on a God purpose. You know, in Ephesians it says that um, that we are his workmanship, created for good works in Christ Jesus, which he prepared for us before we were born. I love that scripture because it gives us eternal significance. Because it means if I find what God wants me to do, suddenly there is eternal significance if I align myself with that, if I choose that table, if I follow that narrative. And so in the South African context, is, is this possible in South Africa? Can God do something like what he did with Nehemiah? Can he do something like this in South Africa? Is it okay for us to dream again about a thriving, prosperous, harmonious South Africa where people are united not on the basis of color or race, but they are united because there's a common cause of building? And you know, sometimes the enemy would come like he did with Sanballat and Tobiah and he would try and make it feel like you were alone, that Nehemiah was the only one there. He was the only one pulling this massive wagon up the hill. He was the only one facing this mountain. We sang about mountains this morning. But sometimes you will come and he will try with intimidation like he did with Nehemiah. He tried to intimidate the people. He tried to intimidate um, uh, Nehemiah and said, we will come and we will destroy you at night. And as a result, they then had a guy working and a guy with a standing guard so that they could basically fend off any of these attacks. And finally, Sanballat and Tobiah got so frustrated that they said, Nehemiah, come out. Come out to us. Let's talk this thing out and let's settle this thing. And they actually wanted to kill him. And Nehemiah decided, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. So what they did is they drafted a little letter, an open letter, and they sent it on a messenger 
uh, with a messenger through to uh, Nehemiah and read it out in public, tantamount, I suppose, to social media. And there they read out this letter saying, Nehemiah, actually what you're wanting to do is you want to set, you set yourself up as king over this, this city and you actually are in rebellion to King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah obviously was wise to this. He knew that this, wasn't, this was just fabricated and he didn't, he didn't give it a second thought and he carried on and he completed the task that God had for him. There's uh, one of my favorite Old Testament stories is the story of Elijah. I love Elijah. He's human. He's fallible. He makes mistakes. But he also has a heart after God. And um, he goes and he, he challenges the 400 prophets of Baal. Fire comes down. Wonderful, glorious time. Um, and then Jezebel sends a messenger with a note. And he wants to flee. And he prays. And the Lord says the following to him in 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings. Then the word of the Lord, the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook of Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And I think the challenge for us is to find our there. What is the Lord saying to you? This morning we sang goodbye to Pitt and Alicia and there, 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 there is in Columbus in America. And it's a place where they can go with faith and with hope and the Lord can use them and they can be fruitful, hopefully not more fertile, but they can be fruitful there. But for us, but for us, where is our there? Because if we are here and we don't believe this is our there, we can't have hope. We can't be fruitful. And the Lord will not provide for us because he sent the ravens there. The ravens were providing for Elijah's needs there. And sometimes he provides for us. The ravens were bringing him carrion and, and, uh, and bread. And sometimes it doesn't look like the lavish feast of the king. Sometimes it is carrion but there he can write your story and there we can go on a journey that he can take us to places where we could never have imagined and we can have eternal significance. And so in the, in the context of South Africa, do I have hope? I suppose that's a fair question. Do I have hope? I'm the guy bringing the message. I can't bring depression and despondency. So I've been fortunate over the last couple of weeks to go firstly on a, a, a Christian homeschoolers camp. And there on this Christian homeschoolers camp, I met very Afrikaans people from Mayerton, and I'm Afrikaans, um, so I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Um, but real salt-of-the-earth people, people I never dreamt I would have met. And they're all Christians. Some of them are from the NGE Kerk. Some of them are from the Gereformeerde Kerk. Some are from Spirit-led or Pentecostal. I'm not saying, I can't say that. The NGE guys can also be spirit-led, so let me just correct that. Um, but I, what I mean is I was exposed to a Christian cross-section of South Africa that I never would have met. And while the kids were off playing, we, we often would sit down and have supper or lunch because everything was catered, which is wonderful. It's a great way of camping. And we could sit down and we could actually get to know some of these people. And it was so encouraging to hear what the Lord was doing in all of these little churches, how 
almost without fail, every single one of these churches had started taking on some of the responsibility to turn South Africa around. And it would have been a little thing maybe where they started like a little feeding scheme or where they started just reaching out to the local communities, building bridges. It's such a beautiful picture of what Nehemiah accomplished because when he got to Jerusalem, the walls were broken and he basically gave instruction to everybody, wherever you lived, build the piece of wall in front of your house. And I believe that's a word for us. That's a word, build the wall in front of your house. Wherever you go to the shopping center, when you speak to the lady behind the till, build that wall. When you see the guy in the corner without work, build that wall. These are little things that we can do without a big program. These are little things that, that we can do. But, so I was really, really encouraged by that. And then we, we went on a, a leaders, leaders thing. And there again in the different churches, we just saw that there was this, they were almost like green shoots. You know, there's been a felt fire. Everything was black. But I'm starting to see some green shoots. And I also like following politics, and this is not a political message at all, um, but I like to keep abreast with the latest polls, the latest trends in South Africa, and before God, I can say I'm excited about what is happening in this country. Before God, I can say that I can see that the Lord is building something. There is a groundswell that is getting together, and I'm happy to share that with you on a, on a one-on-one basis afterwards, because this is not the platform to start talking about that, but what I'm saying is... If this is your there, you can have hope. If this is your there, God is with you. If this is your there, God will help us to turn things around. But we need to know that this is our there. In the Jewish calendar, um, their new year was, I think, on the 15th of September. And it is the year 5784 in the Jewish calendar. And it is... It is According to the Jews, this is the year of the door. And some say the year of the open door. Um, Messianic Jews also say that if you look at the cycle of years, 5784 is also the year that Jesus was born. The same cycle of years, they believe, is the same year that creation took place where God ordered everything. So when they work through all their numbers and their whatever, that's, they, they believe that 5784 is a significant, significant year. And already it has been a significant year because three weeks into this year of the door, 5784, Hamas attacked Israel. And there's a lot of shaking going on. So what does the New Testament, for Messianic Jews, what does the New Testament say about the doors? Well, in Revelation 3 verse 7, it says, and I actually need to just reference this, it says, in Revelation 3, 7, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says the Holy One who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and he who shuts and no one opens. And so, let's, so this is a year where God is going to be closing some doors and he's going to be opening some doors. Maybe some of the doors that he's closing are maybe some doors that have not been that helpful for us. Maybe we've gotten into a habit or a behavioral um, pattern that is not good. And the Lord is going to be closing those doors if we allow him. Maybe some of those doors have been good doors in the past. They've been doors that have given us fruit and sustenance and we can see the life of God in those doors. But perhaps the Lord is going to close some of those doors. But then let's talk about the doors that he's going to be opening. And I believe this is a year that the Lord is inviting his people to go through doors, to go on an adventure with the Holy Spirit through a door where you will see God do 
awesome and miraculous things like we sang in the worship earlier because the God wants to show himself strong on behalf of his people. I believe that this is a significant year. In the year of this country, next year is an election year and it still falls within the Jewish year of 5784. I believe that there is, the Lord is doing something. There's a gathering, almost like a kairos moment. In the New Testament, they often use the word kairos, which means in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, we've, we've heard people say that the Lord often takes a long time to do something quickly. The falling of the Berlin Wall. It took a long time, and then the wall fell. The Lord does, shall a, shall a nation be born in a day? That's in, in Isaiah. And so there are so many promises that we can, we can activate our faith. But my encouragement to you as fellow South Africans is, guys, let's find out if this is our there. Because if this is our there, let's put our, let's put our roots down. Because God cannot bless if we don't put roots down. Those roots cannot bring up sustenance from the earth. It cannot bring the, the moisture and the water for us to be fruitful. Because if we are double-minded, we will be unstable in all of our ways. So my challenge is, guys, can we go and seek God for this nation? If, if, if this is not your calling, then ask God to show you where your calling is because ultimately we have eternal significance if we align ourselves with God. If we surrender to God, if we eat from that table, we have eternal significance. And that is what he's calling his people to. And so this morning, I want us to just close our eyes where we are. Lord, we repent. We repent, Father God, from all the things that have happened in this country. We repent, Father, from the way that we have spoken about this beautiful country that you love and that you died for. Lord, we repent, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would align our hearts, that you would show us where there is, that you would show us, Father, where it is you want to use us, Lord. That, Lord, that we would be aligned with you that we would experience the ease of your presence, the ease of your spirit. Father Nehemiah wasn't in full-time ministry. Neither was, neither was Daniel. They weren't in full-time ministry, Lord. But Lord, their positions that you gave them, Lord God, allowed them to change and shift things, Lord. And Father, even us, Lord, some of us are not cupbearers, Lord. Some of us are not sitting advising the king or the president, Lord. But Father, there is a piece of broken wall in front of us. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us, Lord, how to build that wall. I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you would unite us. That, Lord, that as your people, we would spread a message of reconciliation. We would spread a message of God has got a purpose. God has got a hope. That, Lord, that even as we build your kingdom, Lord, may we also see hearts transform, Lord, because, Lord, that is the secret, Lord. If people's hearts are turned to you, Lord, it is a fertile, bed, a fertile bedding, a fertile field where the kingdom can flourish, Lord. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that today we would take responsibility for the peace of all in front of, our, in front of us. The people that we see, Father God, the neighbor, the guy across the road, Lord. That, Lord, we would be about your business. We would be about building the things that you want to, Lord. And I pray that you would birth in us, Father God, the hope that we need to be sustained, Father, that hope would translate into faith 
and faith into fruit, Lord. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, just for this Thanksgiving day, Lord. Lord, that we can just come and settle our hearts and just say, Lord, you have been so good. Lord, even in South Africa, Lord, you have been so good to us, Lord. Lord, we take so many things for granted in, in the context of South Africa, Father. There are so many beautiful things, Lord God. The people are unique, Lord. There are no other people like them. The challenges are also unique, Father. But, Lord, we, we trust you, Father, to guide your people into everything that you have promised. In Jesus' name we ask this, Lord.